from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 107 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm good. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, thank you. So did you have a good 4th of July? I had a very quick 4th of July. So uh, (laughs) even though I decided to celebrate the entire weekend, like I'm pretty sure you did, uh, it it just felt like it it came and went so fast. Uh, It it just jam-packed. But then again, I spent a lot of time on Wednesday and Thursday sitting out waiting for fireworks at at Walt Disney World. So uh, that kind of chipped away at a lot of my weekend and... And then I spent uh, I, I spent a good amount of I believe the Friday, so the day after Fourth of July. I spent a lot of that day pouting about my experience trying to film the fireworks at Magic Kingdom on July third. Uh, I, I was set up on the beach at the Polynesian for about two and a half hours, give or take. It was mm-hmm. it, it sprinkled at points in times, never had a downpour, but like just beyond dangerous lightning. Like, very, very scary to the point that Rhino had to go inside because he was so afraid he was going to get struck. And because of the lightning, I believe that would be the cause, they didn't have the the uh, the electrical water pageant barges come out. Uh. And those, they do play a, a role in the 4th of July fireworks on the, the Polynesian beach and such. Uh, they... they light up in their patriotic colors but they also uh, project a lot of the audio for the fireworks so we basically watch 10 minutes of fireworks with no audio and while they're good uh, we all know that the reason why we we love disney fireworks is the blend of music mm-hmm. and the visuals so uh, i i i've been very bitter about it for a while and i'm i'm just <laughs> now getting over it but uh it, it made up for it that i shot a pretty spectacular version of Illuminations for its final 4th of July show as Illuminations. Yes. So. I saw that. I was so happy that you captured that. Yeah, I just... I love Illuminations. I just needed a little bit of a wider lens because I missed a little bit of, like, the really top fireworks, but the way the wind was blowing that night, it just... It was, it was too high to capture everything, but uh, I have plans on going back pretty soon and doing my close-up shots of the globe so eventually i'm gonna do a nice cut uh back and forth between like a close-up of the globe with the wide shot with the the fourth of july and stuff so i know i can't have the close-up on the fourth of july globe because that's kind of a a one-time only thing but at least (laughs) for the rest of the show i can have Mm -hmm. a a nice little back and forth so uh, hopefully i'll get to that in the next uh four to six months even though the fireworks will only be around now for another three (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
So, well, I'm. It, it, it's a. It's nice to have that recorded because we can watch it every year now. And you better. Oh, I would. You know, I will because I love <laughs> illuminations. I know. So yeah. <laughs> So, and I, I wanted to thank everybody for all your anniversary wishes. Many of you sent me wishes on July first. It would have been um, Carol and my thirtieth wedding anniversary, and I, I know a lot of people weren't sure what to do. But you know, it was awkward to you say something. Would it make me sad? And I, I think folks who have lost their spouse or their partner you you know you still celebrate it in your heart you know anniversaries and I was happy that people acknowledged it because for me Carol's still a part of my life and part of my memories and I want that acknowledgement and I, I, so I appreciate it. And, and don't feel awkward. And if you do know somebody who has lost someone, acknowledge that, you know, acknowledge an anniversary and all that. Because, you know, you know they are in their hearts. They're, they're, they're remembering it. So, and they would probably appreciate it. So I definitely appreciated all of you that um, reached out to me. Thank you. It meant more than you can imagine. So and and I'm grateful that thanks to Tom Bell, who is a producer of the old Disneyland show, and Pete Werner, that you know they had Carol on the Disneyland show that I can listen to her and hear her whenever I want to. So um, yeah, so that, that's even that's a gift that very few people have. Yes, so. exactly. And uh, mm-hmm. if how I guess that would have been back in March when we uh, played her first appearance mm-hmm. as a ladies only show on there so uh, it's if you missed out back then or if you're just new to our show now and and you want to kind of go back uh, you can find it as early as March or or dig through those Disneyland archives so. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah because yeah, she was on more than once yes so thank yep. you so and on, on other news you know uh Hopefully you've you've all been watching the wonderful videos that Craig made of Galaxy's Edge out at Disneyland, and even before then, we were invited to return to the Disney Discussions podcast. Our, our good friends uh, Tony and and um, Sparrow and Stitch, who are the hosts of that uh, really delightful show. They they had invited us to do a Tower of Terror segment, and much to our astonishment, they invited us back after that. And, it, and they, they've done a three-part series on what Star Wars means to us, and Craig and I are on that again. We had, a, we had fun with that one because we actually did sound effects. Oh, it was difficult. <laughs> It was hard to edit. <laughs> it was, and thank you, Craig, for doing that because I it was that was my brilliant idea to bring in the sound effects. And um, anyway, and and I listened to it, and Craig, you did a marvelous job. I listened to it before you sent it off to um, Tony Stitch and Sparrow uh, way back when. And so it's they have released episode one of that or part one, episode forty three, and apparently. Connecting with Walt is on that first episode. So if you, or that part one, I should say, because uh, it's, it's episode 43. So we will, if you go on Connecting with Walt's Twitter page at Connecting Walt, there's 
it's all over that page at the moment. But also, we will have a link in our show notes. Uh, at some point, I will post it on my um, Facebook page um, with the Connecting with Walt banner. So um, give it a listen. Let us know what you think. So it was a lot of fun to make. So. Oh, yeah. No, it's uh, it's weird making stuff for other people. So it is. It's, it's like I almost don't want to w- listen to it, but uh. I do. <laughs> But we could be goofy too. I know, it, which is I know. fun it's, and creative. It is, yeah. So, uh, speaking of creative and goofy and all that, Disneyland's sixty fourth anniversary is on July seventeenth. Seems like only four years ago it was their sixtieth, <laughs> and we were all together. That feels like ten years ago. <laughs> I know it does. It does. So, Craig, uh, are you going to do anything to commemorate Disneyland? On July seventeenth, besides working all day, most likely. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm basically going to work all day. I might, uh, mm-hmm. I might pour out uh, a nice uh, glass of scotch or something and, and suck it down in in honor of Disneyland. Oh, yeah. But I, I think even more than that, uh, we'll put out a podcast, a Disneyland edition podcast that day, and maybe mm-hmm. we'll feature you on it. Oh. That's right. That's our, that's our big celebration. I I'm returning to my roots, and I, I know Craig, you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago when you took over hosting the Disneyland show, and you are doing a masterful job, by the way. Oh, I'm. Uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday night. Just wait till you see the episode that released on Wednesday. I had to record it on like three hours of sleep, and it was our fun episode where we got to talk about earthquakes in that Fantasyland fight or Toontown fight. Oh, God. So it's easily one of the worst podcasts I've ever had to record. Oh, no. I, I'm, <laughs> looking for, I, I'm looking forward to the, those two conversations. We, we didn't feel the earthquake up here. I know some people did, but um, I'm way up in Northern California. If you're not familiar with the length of California, it's far away. I always, it's always amusing when people ask me if I'm okay when there's a um, earthquake like in the Mojave Desert. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I'm nowhere near there. <laughs> anyway, now if there's one in San Francisco, then you might want to ring me up and ask how I'm doing or Sacramento. I mean, that's where the big one is. So yeah, but um, yeah, so well, you'll have to have a Scotch mist. Um, oh yeah, I mean, I I do. I usually like to do a Scotch mist. Uh, hold hold the mist, just extra Scotch. But yeah, it, it's a terrible joke. I know it's it's just Scotch and the uh, lemon peel. But uh, I I can't I can't be bothered to actually peel lemons and <laughs> and add that. That's just too time consuming. Yeah, I am. Um, I don't know what I'll do. I, I usually wear like a Disney shirt to work. I will. Um, of course, I wear a Disney shirt to work. The people who are listening who work with me will say well that's like no other how's that different from any other day <laughs> and then um and then but i was thinking you know if those mickey bars are still in the store i was thinking of picking up a couple boxes of those mickey bars to bring them in for um uh, the people that sit near me <laughs> oh, you'd be so popular <laughs> i yeah. will i will yeah so. I, I'll, I'll probably just do like i normally do i try to watch the uh i try to watch the the uh, Disneyland episode mm-hmm. of the first day with uh, Art, Art Linkletter and all that. And uh, it's, you know, it, it's a simple tradition, but usually the best part of it is that I start with that one episode and then I watch a whole bunch of other random ones. And 
I, I try to always vary it. I don't want to watch the same ones over and over again. Like I don't want I don't want to always go to like the tenth anniversary and the holidays. And I, I try to I try to keep it varied. So uh, it's it's a nice one. Every it's weird how every single Disneyland anniversary it kind of it refuels my my passion of Disneyland history, mm-hmm. and I I have it all the time. But it's just uh, it, it's like. It's like on your birthday when you start feeling nostalgic for all those old times. That's I, I do the same thing with Disneyland, and yeah, that makes me a weirdo. But we're all weirdos, so mm-hmm. yeah, that's deal with true. it. Yeah, <laughs> but but speaking of what, but getting back to what, what you sort of mentioned and then moved off of. Um, yes, I'm back on the Disneyland show, albeit uh, it is specially pre- it's pre-recorded segments, but I will be talking about Disneyland history. And not, of course, in the depth that we do here on Connecting with Walt, mm-hmm. but it, but it will be. I'll be adding in maybe a story or something that I've not shared on, on Connecting with Walt. It'll be yeah. something extra. So this coming week, I, I'll be we'll be talking about the uh, yeah opening day of Disneyland. Yeah, yeah. It, it, we already recorded it, so mm-hmm. I can say that. Uh, you know, it it is simple, but it it is the perfect little addition to that show. So uh, I I feel like I feel like we're trying to come full circle with that Disneyland show and and really blend that marriage between people who still aren't familiar with Disneyland but thinking about planning a trip, as well as having the the local input and now. With being able to bring in these segments uh, with you or the other uh, classic Disneyland members, uh, I, I feel like we're really gonna we're, we're really gonna have a nice, well-rounded. I don't want to say product because that that makes it seem like I, I just look at it as a, a big sales item or something. But I mean that it kind of is in that way. It's just it, it's a well-rounded show when we were able to combine all of those efforts. The the planning Disneyland from East Coast or anywhere else, the 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 knowledge of what to expect with Disneyland when you live out there and you're a local and now bringing in the history too from time to time. It's just uh it, it's very exciting. I'm I'm really happy that uh that we're launching it with this one, especially on on Disneyland's birthday, it just couldn't be more perfect timing. So uh, yeah, and I'm just so happy to be back to be a part of the show where I started with the Diz. Unfortunately, so it will be the last time, so, <laughs> but we'll talk about that off mic. <laughs> uh, anyway, all righty. Well, we are because it is Disneyland's anniversary. We're going to be talking about. Uh, something that uh, uh, just a favorite that started with Disneyland but went worldwide uh, in today's episode. Craig, are you a parade person? Ooh. I know. We, I think we've talked about this before. Yeah, we we've talked about it a little bit, and I think my answer probably has changed back and forth on it. I ultimately am a parade person, uh, but. It has to be the right parade. It has to be the perfect blend of music with visuals, mm-hmm. which is actually also the same way I feel about fireworks. But uh, well, no, I can always deal with fireworks, no matter how good or bad they are. But parades, like, I, there are some that grow old and tired uh, for me. But 
but then there are some that I will never get sick of. So mm-hmm. ultimately, yes, but then, oh man, Michael, why did you post such a hard question right at the front? Do we consider <laughs> Move It, Shake It, Celebrate It a parade? Well, I guess we have to. <laughs> oh, okay, then my answer Disney stands. It. It's very 50-50 on parades. <laughs> if it's not a parade, then I love parades. <laughs> I love parades. Uh, you know, Move It, Shake It was not my favorite, but it was probably near the bottom. But, oh, um, but it I is love the bottom. <laughs> yeah, but but I love a parade. Do you have what's your favorite? Okay, we know what's at the bottom. What's at your top? Oh, I mean, this this is also a tough question on there uh, because I I mean, if you can see the episode title, which you probably saw before you clicked on listening to this, you know what we're going to talk about. Uh, Main Street Electrical Parade is very very special to me. And so that's up there, but uh, the the energy of the first time that I got to watch Paint the Night and every every single performance I've seen of it afterwards is still just it's spellbinding. So that's that's up there. But I I also grew up with Spectro Magic, which I didn't mm-hmm. really appreciate it until it was on its last runs, and then that's when that clicked with me and i realized how special of a parade that was but i also love sensational even though i don't think uh you know we know that it's time is about up yeah. this year and potentially for the rest of uh for the rest of time but i love the soundtrack of that parade so I do so too. many good ones i i, I want to say though it it really comes down to those those three nighttime shows it's it's a toss up between Paint the Night, Main Street Electrical Parade, and Spectro Magic, of which one's my favorite? I would have to say, it's, it's the same for me. I, and I, I think part of it is the magic of nighttime, because we've talked before, the parks are so magical at night. They just, it, whatever magic hangs in that park, it just, uh-huh. in, in the parks, they they it just comes alive at night with the the uh, the lighting and the twinkly lights in the trees, which is a little boy. Oh my gosh, I love that. I still do. And I don't know. I I almost prefer the parks at night. Oh, so, I do, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Except that one. Except at the Magic Kingdom, and that one hump where you're walking from like Splash Mountain, you know, Frontierland, and all that, and Big Thunder, and you're walking over. And, and there's like a little hill, and you go under, and 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 you're walking towards, I think, Caribbean Plaza, and there's this bright light that just shines right in your eyes. <laughs> and I thought I don't like that light. Uh, you just you got to wear some glasses at night. We all do it. <laughs> so, so anyway, that's the only night light I don't like. But I, I'll, I'll accept so, that. <laughs> so, but. Uh, it is the it is the nighttime parades, and for me, for decades, it was the Main Street Electrical Parade. Uh, I'll, have some, I'll have a couple of cute stories to share about it as we go through this Man. episode. I love Paint the Night, absolutely love it. I don't understand why it starts and stops and starts and stops at the Disneyland Resort all the time. Yeah, but I, I mean, think some I mean, of it is a storage issue at the moment. Yeah, uh, and um, it does leave you wanting it when it does go away for a while. But mm-hmm. I, I, I know we're going to get into plenty of stories. But for me, Main Street Electrical Parade was—I I think the specialness of it 
for me came into the fact that I knew it by its music before I even ever saw it. Um, because I had, I, when I was, I don't even know how old I was. It, it had to be early nineties when the, um, the 1991 album, the official album of Walt Disney World and in Disneyland was out. Mm-hmm. I I got it on a, a family trip down to Fort Lauderdale uh, that that we took at a Disney store. I had the cassette of that, so that was the the debut track on on that that cassette tape, and it kicked off with Main Street Electrical Parade. So before I even got to see it with my eyes, I I knew that parade mm-hmm. and. So it's it, it was it was something that that's just nuts that that's been a part of me before I even had the chance to see it and <laughs> I, I think that's why it's so special to me and I'm I'm excited about this episode because of that yeah, yeah. and it. yeah and I love Spectre Magic I just thought that oh. was a, a terrific parade even even in the early years when he had those creepy head creatures. It, well, yeah, no, yeah, the, they, yeah, no, I, the, the ones sitting on the balls, yeah, no, yeah, the they were dolls. weird, they were weird, but now, now that we know we can never have them again, it makes me so sad, it's, it's like, I want the creepiness, now that it's yeah. not possible anymore. Yeah. Well, you know, since the opening day of Disneyland, parades have been a tradition at that park and at all Disney theme parks. Walt regarded parades as a part of the hometown character of the United States that brought communities together in celebration of a holiday, like Independence Day or an event like the high school homecoming parade. Uh, Walt included parades in some of his cartoon shorts and films. Uh, well, Toby Tyler is the one that just jumps out at me. And we've we talked about when we talked about that film, how elaborate Walt got in in getting the circus floats and everything for that um, for that parade. Uh, um, he also wanted that spirit of small town America in his parks. And over the generations, Disney parades have become artistic and technological extravaganzas. Um, arguably, as we've been saying, the most popular and beloved of all the Disneyland parades and at Walt Disney World and at the international parks is the Main Street Electrical Parade. This first dazzled Disneyland guests with its spectacular festival pageant of nighttime magic and imagination and thousands of sparkling lights and electro-synthomagnetic musical sounds in its debut on June 17, 1972. And Craig, were you hearing the um, real intro in your head as I said that? <laughs> I mean, clear as day, I heard it. It was, <laughs> yeah. it, it just, it, it clicks immediately. Yeah. Unless you go back to that album I was mm-hmm. talking about that excluded the introduction in there. So it's the first time I heard it, I was like, wow, that wasn't on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no one had ever seen anything like it. An entertainment spectacle combining music and technology in a way that left guests staring in awe. The predecessor to the 1972 Disneyland Main Street Electrical Parade 
is what we, something we've been talking about a little earlier, the Electrical Water Pageant, a show made up of 14 25-foot-tall screens with electrical lights, and they, they were placed um, and placed on them, depicting everything from King Triton to the Stars and Stripes. And the screens are placed on a string of seven barges that travel around the Seven Seas Lagoon in front of the Magic Kingdom at the Walt Disney World Resort. I remember seeing that for the first time as a teenager, because it was dark. I didn't know it existed. And I'm at the Magic Kingdom, and I, I don't know where I was where I, because that I could see this. And suddenly, when the, it comes on and I'm seeing it in the water with this music, it was like the most amazing thing I had ever seen in my life. So, uh, so I was mesmerized by the electrical water pads, and I still am. Oh, uh, me too. Mm-hmm. So, Card Walker, president of the Walt Disney Company, had been looking for something to keep guests at Disneyland um, past sundown. And when he saw the success of the electrical water pageant, he decided Disneyland needed a similar nighttime event. Additionally, Disneyland cast members and guests were feeling neglected because very little attention is being paid to Disneyland since the opening of Walt Disney World. And Cardwalker wanted to rectify this. The Main Street Electrical Parade was created by Director of Entertainment Bob Janney and Project Director Ron Mitzger. Uh, Card Walker met with Bob and Ron and explained his concerns about Disneyland and the need for a spectacular nighttime event. Card's only directive to Bob and Ron was that it should keep guests in the park beyond the early evening hours. Dick Nunes, who is executive vice president of Walt Disney World and Disneyland, was against working on and implementing the nighttime project. He said with the opening of Bear Band, which was the Country Bear Jamboree, which opened on March 4th, 1972, he didn't see a need for another big attraction like a parade. Carr disagreed with Dick and told Bob and Ron to continue working on their ideas. So Ron went to the local library to do research on various show ideas he was considering. And he came across a story describing what some big cities did during the introduction of electricity. At the turn of the century, big cities were amongst the first to get electricity, and they would hold parades down their main street with strings of lighted bulbs. This struck Ron as an interesting idea. He went back to Bob and said, What if we do a parade with lights? Well, the overwhelming popularity of the electrical water pageant at Walt Disney World further inspired them to create a West Coast equivalent. But instead of being on water, Ron and Bob put wheels to the idea and created the Main Street Electric Parade for Disneyland. It was almost a literal translation of the electric water pageant because the first Main Street electrical parade for Disneyland was mostly a series of flat screenlit images like the elephant train floats and American flag finale float being pushed or pulled down Main Street by cast members. The few dimensional floats were the Casey Jr. train, Mickey's large drum, and the whirlybugs, because all these floats existed from past parades and were simply fitted with lights. The blue fairy who would lead the parade was the only new dimensional float. And I saw this parade, the very first one, and 
you know, little did we know what was to come as yeah. technology improved, but it was it was magnificent for its day. I genuinely didn't even realize that the the dimensional floats were actually older floats that were just reused. That yeah. kind of blows my mind, but yeah. it, it makes sense. Why not reuse uh, what what you already have? I mean, that's oh, yeah. that's what we hoped for the longest time. That awful uh, parade float that we had here in Walt Disney World with all the glass mirrors and stuff. Uh, that they just threw princesses on top of. It's like, just reuse it for anything else. So, <laughs> it's good on them be in care- the past. <laughs> yeah, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, <laughs> I even remember when they had, when they put in the It's a Small World segment, it was just It's a Small World dolls <laughs> on on um, pedestals on wheels that cast members just pushed down the street. <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, one of the many problems that come up was how to power these floats. Powering the electric water pageant was easy because the generators were on the lake. However, it wasn't as easy for a parade on wheels. The park maintenance department offered the help of one of their electrical engineers, Jerry Hefferly, to come up with a workable power source. They looked at a number of power sources, including various types of generators and even electrifying the tracks in the street, but still was not able to come up with an adequate way to power the parade. The power source had to accomplish three different tasks at the same time, light the bulbs to create the images, power the unit itself, and power the sound system. They reported back to Card about their problems, and he said their team had about a week to figure out whether it was possible or not. Three days before their deadline, Jerry was working virtually nonstop to figure out the problem. He was doing a number of calculations on various types of batteries when he told Ron and Bob that he believed he might have the answer. The Walt Disney Studio had recently purchased a brand new type of battery called nickel-cadmium batteries, commonly known today as NICAD batteries, for lighting and other various film productions. Jerry believed, based on his calculations, they were more efficient than existing car batteries and would solve their power issue. He determined if they ran the parade in one direction, they could then recharge the batteries and do a second show in the opposite direction. After the week was over, the team went into another meeting with Card, Walker, and Dick Nunes and told them that they had found a solution to their power problem. Card was ecstatic, but Dick was still against the entire idea. At Card's direction, plans for the parade continued to move forward. Another issue was where to get the right light bulbs to create the exact desired effect. The team determined the specifications of the bulb that would be ideal for each of the floats. After an extensive search, they finally found a company, the Silvestri Lights Company of Chicago. At the time, this Italian company was the only company manufacturing the tiny Christmas lights. One of the problems was that the lights only came in clear. All color required hand-dipping the lights into a color medium. When I was a little boy, we had Silvestri lights on our Christmas tree at home, and they were only clear lights. And the other little 
cool thing about these lights, which caused a fight every single year, was that they were screw-in bulbs. You know, nowadays bulbs are plug-in. But mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. one went out, they all went out. We would spend hours every Christmas putting up that tree, trying to figure out which bulb went out of those little Sylvester bulbs. And by the end of that evening, my father wasn't talking to anybody anymore. <laughs> I, I mean, it's the classic Christmas vacation. You just got to get up on the roof and check every single bulb, make sure it's That's, okay. That's what we were all doing. It was horrible. So anyway, I, I don't know how we ever figured out which ones weren't working. God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> but we did. Planning for the parade took place January and February of 1972. Construction of the floats had to start quickly if they wanted to get the parade up by the mid-June deadline. And relying on their working knowledge of the lights, they contracted Silvestri in the beginning of March to handle the construction of the floats. With regular updates, the team found that the construction company was falling far behind and not accomplishing what they needed. So Ron headed to Chicago to evaluate the situation. It was a disaster. Very little had been accomplished. Bob and Ron discussed their options by phone, and it was decided that they would bring the floats back to California for completion. Whilst Ron organized moving vans and had all the floats packed up and driven back west, Bob began preparations for their arrival and the work that needed to be accomplished. Large circus tents were erected backstage at Disneyland, and a large crew of electricians, carpenters, and others were hired to begin work on the parade unit pieces after they arrived. Flying back from Chicago, Ron remembers contemplating that he was flying over a fleet of 14 moving vans of stuff, none of which was anywhere close to being finished, with only a few weeks left before the announced opening of this spectacular new parade. Once back in California, crews worked around the clock on the floats. Most of the scheduled rehearsals with the performing cast were canceled to allow more hours of work on the units. Of the two rehearsals that did take place, the first was a complete disaster. Some of the units fell apart, including Cinderella's canopy of lights. One unit crashed into a building on Main Street, and two horses, there were several horses with riders in the first version of the parade, fell beneath the weight of the lighted banners they were carrying. The electricians and other crew members each became totally dedicated to the task at hand. They were all determined to get this parade done and opened on time. They were still working on the floats right up until the moment it premiered on June 17, 1972. As the floats were readying to move from backstage to Main Street, the lights on the units were lit for the first time. Dozens of electricians were still working on the lights and hopping off just before each unit went through the gates into public view. Ron said the sight of that happening was like people jumping ship just prior to it sinking. Fortunately, the parade was an instant hit. The engineers who helped create the parade also created the first show-controlled program in existence, 
This required the 2,000-foot or 610-meter-long parade route to contain multiple radioactivated trigger zones. Using radioactivated triggers as each float entered a zone, guests would hear float-specific music through the Disneyland audio systems. Each zone was between 70 to 100 feet long, and the zone system meant that every guest watching the parade would experience the same show, no matter where they stood along the parade route. The next problem was to find the right music for the parade. From the very beginning, Bob Jane wanted calliope music and was set to use it for the Main Street Electrical Parade. However, Ron's team wanted something else, and a member of that team, Jack Wagner, who had been responsible for finding all the background music for Walt Disney World, was given the challenge of finding alternate music samples. Bob eventually got to use his calliope music for America on Parade. Jack Wagner, in addition to him being responsible for finding the music, had another distinction. He was nicknamed the voice of Disneyland. Jack's voice was not only heard over Disneyland's public address system for parades and special events, he also did a lot of voice work for the attractions themselves, including instructions, emergency precautions, and safety spiels. Jack also did some voice work for the Walt Disney World Resort and is probably his most famous and popular work to some Walt Disney World fans. And I don't know if his voice can still be heard today on the Walt Disney World monorail system, but do you want to try saying this <laughs> this one? Because I'm not even going to tackle it. I I can't do it. Okay. Well, it's please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, Mantenga se alejado de las puertas. Yes. Well, I Jack maybe, Wagner. Oh, hold on. I'm, I'm going to try it once all the way through now. Okay. Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, mantenga si alejadas dos le... Nope, can't do it. Just, <laughs> I, I cannot do Spanish. You this were close. Me. You were really close. Por favor, there. mantenga si alejado de las puertas. It's just... It's in the mantenga se alejado de las puertas that really screws me up. But you came I know a plenty of people who can do it fine. Did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Too bad they're not on this show at the moment. Um, anyway. <laughs> that, anyway, that was Jag, Jack Wagner who first voiced that with with our apologies to our Spanish speaking friends. Um, Jack also had one more responsibility with the Main Street Electrical Parade. He provided the very famous announcement for both the original Disneyland Main Street Electrical Parade and Walt Disney World Main Street Electrical Parade. In a vocoded voice, you hear, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Disneyland or Walt Disney World proudly presents our spectacular festival pageant of nighttime magic and imagination in thousands of sparkling lights and electro-synthematic musical sounds, the Main Street Electrical Parade. And after the parade concludes, you hear one final announcement before the closing electric fanfare. Disneyland's, or Walt Disney World's, Main Street Electrical Parade. Don Dorsey took over after Wagner passed in 1995. 
Now, Jack found a number of musical samples he believed would work for the parade. They met in Bob Chaney's office, and Jack played each music sample. Ron, music director Jim Christensen, and others agreed that there was one piece that was better than the rest, Baroque Hoedown. The music had been created electronically, something totally new at this time in the music world. The electronic sound and its quick, catchy melody were infectious. The tempo was right for choreography, and a one-minute and three-second portion could be looped to play continuously, exactly what parade music needed to do. The original version was created in 1967 by early synthesizer pioneers Jean-Jacques Perry from France and Gershon Kingsley from Germany. The team spoke to the composer's agents who agreed to allow them to use the music for the parade. Originally, the parade soundtrack had the same themes as the current recording, but was a different arrangement by Jim Christensen and Paul Beaver. In 1977, it was updated and arranged by electronic music artist Don Dorsey and Jack Wagner at Jack Wagner's studio, which was used until January 2009 in Disney's Electrical Parade. Perry and Kingsley had licensed the song for commercial use, but didn't realize that Disney had based an entire parade around it until Perry visited the park in 1980 and heard it being played. A quick search of Los Angeles-based musicians turned up synthesizer programmer Paul Beaver. Paul had a small studio and was considered the only guy for synth work in Hollywood. On May 17, 1972, Jack and Jim met with Paul for the first time. As they experimented and explored with Paul programming the electronic sounds and Jim playing the keyboard, the two demo tracks were completed. One was a short patriotic melody, and the other was the original Baroque hoedown recording with a synth bass line added. Through discussions with Bob, it was decided to build the entire parade on top of Baroque hoedown, a technique similar to It's a Small World, where one melody is overlaid with multiple synchronized arrangements. In this plan, instead of moving the audience through the arrangements, the arrangements would move past the audience. Armed with sketches of the parade floats, Jim began the puzzle-like process of fitting Disney melodies into the harmonic structure and format of Baroque Hoedown. Jack, Jim, and Paul created six different musical scenes, each one using Baroque Hoedown as the foundation. Three of those original tracks, Baroque, Alice and the Angry Dragon were retired with the original Electrical Parade after its 1974 season, but Cinderella Dumbo and the Patriotic Finale continued to be used in all versions of the parade. And it, it just, it, it still blows me away that uh, the, the musical scenes that fit in, they fit in so, so well. To the mm-hmm. point that you don't even realize it, because if you listen to the original track uh, that that you mentioned was created by uh, Jean-Jacques Perry, uh, it's it, like it it is the Baroque hoedown that we know and love, and then it's just it seamlessly integrates this Disney music into it as well. To the point that you would have thought it was there all along. It is just 
so so perfect um, it is it's, it's amazing to this day yeah it's beautifully arranged yeah it's uh, yeah. Now, America on Parade, including Ron Johnny's Calliope music, was the replacement for the Main Street Electrical Parade. Paul Beaver, who was working on the music for this parade as well, died suddenly. Jack Wagner contacted the Moog Company, the manufacturer of the synthesizer that Paul had used, to see if they knew any local programmers, and they suggested Don Dorsey a student at Cal State Fullerton. He helped create the great American band organ sound for the Patriotic Parade. Following his work on America on Parade, Jack hired Don as his full-time audio production assistant. When the Main Street Electrical Parade returned to Disneyland in 1977, Don proposed to do something very different. The original parade began with a manually triggered tape of an oscillator sweep, followed by a fade-in of the continuous parade music as the lights were turned off. Don wanted to create an exciting musical opening that would incorporate a fanfare that segued directly into the parade tempo. He also wanted to synchronize the light cue to the music for dramatic effect. Because the parade would need this sonic beginning as it arrived in each different area of the park, Don invented a way to perform automatic synchronized introductions on demand. This process, called the opening window, has been used to start Disney parades ever since. Don composed the electric fanfare, reworked the underliner blue ferry tract with a perkier bass line and, a n- and new melody enhancements. He rearranged the Alice of Wonderland unit and added creature sounds and arranged new tracks for Pete's Dragon, Briny Deep um, Underwater, and Disney Neon Finale. Bob Chani created the new music, Alenthro Synthomagnetic, and wrote the announcement for the opening sequence. The summer of 1977 also saw the first complete revision of the parade, taking it from flat screens to three-dimensional units, including Elliot from the film Pete's Dragon, and the debut of the electrical parade at Walt Disney World the following January. Disney took the electrical parade floats to the Orange Bowl for a spectacular halftime show produced by Ron Mitzker, And for the halftime show, introductions and endings for the Alice of Wonderland and Pete's Dragon units needed to be created, along with the grand finale for the Blue Fairy track. Don composed the fanfare of lights for the finale and used the opening window concept in reverse to achieve the musical endings. And Bob Johnny liked the results so much that the closing fanfare was added to the parades in the summer of 1978. Over the ensuing years, the park saw many musical units come and go, most arranged and performed by Don. In 1979, the Briny Deep unit was transformed into a Pinocchio underwater scene. Disneyland's 25th anniversary brought a new unit for the 1980 season. The Fox and the Hound unit appeared in the summer of 1981. The Return to Oz unit debuted in 1985, but was destroyed by fire. The parade opened in June of 1972 and was an instant hit. Park guests requested copies of the music. So in 1973, when Jack, Jim, and Paul reunited to record a small world unit, 
a recording of the soundtrack uh, was produced. The seven-inch souvenir disc featured a colorful graphic of the parade pressed directly into the vinyl and was amongst the first of its kind. I have about three of these still oh, in my collection. And if you want one, you can find them on eBay pretty easily. So okay. Without, uh, without spending a ton of money. But, yeah. uh, you know, again, though, not again, but for the first time, be careful about the vinyl you buy. So mm-hmm. don't pay too much for something that's scratched up. Uh, make sure you see lots of pictures of it and try to check to see what they rate it. And if it seems like it's good, pay a little bit more for it. But you know, don't buy it. Don't buy a vinyl that's been ripped apart and it's worth like five dollars and and pay thirty dollars for it just because you feel like it's going to be uh, pretty rare. But there's lots of these ones out there. You can get them. <laughs> Yeah, so I think I have an It's a Small World one as well. Excellent. Yeah, but what's funny is each side is five minutes. So when I was teaching kindergarten, you know, I I would play, like if we were doing art or something, I would, sometimes I would play, you know, background music or something on on the little, you know, phonograph that was in the classroom. But when it was time to start cleaning up, I would put on side one of the Main Street Electrical Parade. And the children knew they had five minutes to finish cleaning up. And because it would end on side <laughs> one at the Alice in Wonderland, yeah, you know, yeah. segment. And I always thought to this day, there was a whole there, 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 there was a whole generation of children that when they saw that, when they heard that sound, that heard that music, they would have they'd look around to clean up something. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it worked. They would race to make sure they um, finished before they That's started hearing the little all bugs matters. from Alice in Wonderland. Yep. That's all that matters. Yeah. Well, the Main Street Electrical Parade would become the longest running parade in Disney theme park history. It's also one of the largest Disney parades, consisting of 23 floats, 80 and 80 performers. With more than 500 miles of lights, the audio and the float movement, it takes more than 27 tons of batteries to present the parade every night. That energy could power 32 homes. The Main Street Electrical Parade has dazzled generations of families. Parents who first enjoyed the Main Street Electrical Parade as children in 1972 brought their own children to Disneyland to be awed by the magic of thousands of sparkling lights and electro-synthomagnetic musical sounds. The Main Street Electrical Parade glowed away in 1975 to make way for the America on Parade to celebrate the nation's bicentennial in 1976. The Main Street Electrical Parade uh, made its sparkling return to Disneyland in 1997 with an identical version debuting at the Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World. This new Main Street Electrical Parade featured a newly recorded soundtrack with updated musical arrangements by Don Dorsey and Jack Wagner recorded at United Audio Studios in Santa Ana, California. At Disneyland, this version of the parade ran until 1982 to be replaced by the Flights of Fantasy Parade, which ran from 1983 to 1984 to coincide with the opening of New Fantasyland and the 1984 Los Angeles Summer Olympics. 
The Main Street Electrical Parade returned for another run at Disneyland in 1985. The Magic Kingdom's Electrical Parade ran from 1977 to 1991 and was replaced by another nighttime spectacular parade, Spectro Magic, which ran from 1991 to 1999 and then reopened in 2001 and ended on June 4th, 2010. In 1992, the electrical parade from the Magic Kingdom went to Park Disneyland at Disneyland Paris, and there ran until 2003. After it closed there, it was sent to Hong Kong, but never debuted there. Instead, Hong Kong debuted the Paint the Night Parade in 2014, which was heavily inspired by the Main Street Electrical Parade and even uh, even um, features the Baroque Hoedown in its soundtrack. From 1985 to 1995, Tokyo Disneyland had its own electrical parade known as the Tokyo Disneyland Electrical Parade, since this park does not have an open-air Main Street USA, rather a covered street called World Bazaar, the parade route runs across the park. In 1995, it was replaced by a new parade called Fantillusion, which ran until 2001. Then Tokyo Disneyland debuted its current night parade, Tokyo Disneyland Electrical Parade Dreamlights, which was a return to the style of the original with updated new music and floats. I saw this when I was at Tokyo Disneyland a couple years ago. It is beautiful. I've only heard great things about it. Yeah, and and they have, you know, more recent, uh, you know, some of the more recent Pixar and Disney films in there, you know, of course, Frozen and Tangled and Cars and the uh, lights, of course, the, the technology is better. It, it's just a magnificent parade. Yeah, literally everything I've heard about it is whatever you know about nighttime parades, it, it doesn't matter until you see that one. Mm-hmm. I know. I wish that if they were going to if if Main Street Electrical Parade is going to return to parks, I wish they could do the Dreamlights version of it. It'd be a nice step up while still and retaining the Main Street Electrical Parade. Stop that wishful thinking. That's not know, what we're here because it'll never happen. <laughs> so, um, well, back in Disneyland, the Main Street Electrical Parade glowed away in 1996. Light bulb certified as having been part of the show were sold to the public. Okay, kids, there's a whole story behind this. First of all, we were there. We took our children out of school to see this parade glow away. And the park was crazy crowded to the point that I wanted to leave the park. And so we went into the Carnation Plaza because it was empty. And uh, and I just sat there for like an hour and just cooled my heels until I, you know, girded my loins and could go back in the park. But they they closed the park and it was headlines how Disneyland for the first time in its history had been closed. Of course, uh, now it's just one of many times. Um, But as we were sitting there on Main Street, I remember this vividly. We were w- and we were waiting for what was going to be its final run. And this is like October or so. Um, the, suddenly, this was like wildfire. This story started that over at the Disneyland Hotel, they were putting up posters about 
the uh, about the Mesa Electoral Parade after Christmas was having an encore season, and it word hit Disney, the streets of Disneyland, and everybody started. You could just see it rip. It was like the wave. You could just see it rippling and anger in everybody's eyes. And and so people asked the cast member who was standing near us, "Is this true?" And he said, "Yes." I thought they were going to string up the cast member. People were so irate because they felt they'd been played. You know? I, I get it, though. I totally get it. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and of course, these lights. Now, if you watch the Disneyland show, you'll see Tom Bell in the background on his shelf. He bought one of these lights, you know, um, that were certified lights. Of course. Lights. I mean, it's, it's Tom Bell. It's <clears throat> yeah. A, a fool's born every minute. I'm joking. <laughs> now, now, Love now. you, Tom. <laughs> but, but I was told by a cast member years later that what they did with these bulbs was that they they got one of the whirly bub, bugs and they um, – because the parade was sent off elsewhere. So they got one of the whirly bugs. They put in lights and they bought warehouse full of these Christmas lights and they literally would put – the lights in the whirly bug flip it on flip it off take out the lights and start putting them in this collector's packaging as some as other people started to put in the more new lights and do the whole thing again flip the bug on flip the bug off and then start pulling those lights off and that's how they got away with saying these had been you know were from the electrical even that seems like too much effort. Just lie. That, that's much simpler. Just flat out yeah. lie. Yeah. So I don't know if the story's true or not, but that's what I was told. Anyway, but it's 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 a it's a nice little conversation piece now. And those are I have seen those on eBay. Um, well, the replacement show for this lives on in the annals of Disneyland history, Light Magic. And I did talk about this show on the classic Disneyland show. We'll, we'll probably do a whole episode on this someday. It opened in 1997 and was an immediate failure. Um, Disneyland quickly canceled Light Magic and was without a nighttime parade. I think it was for close to 18 years. Um, Disneyland's Main Street Electrical Parade was refurbished for its return to the Magic Kingdom in May 1999 for a limited engagement for the Walt Disney World Millennium Celebration. And then the parade ended its run at the Magic Kingdom on April 1st, 2001, and Spectre Magic returned the following day. The Main Street Electrical Parade floats crossed the country back to California for the parade's planned return to Disneyland. These plans changed after Team Disney Anaheim saw the poor attendance figures for the spring break season at Disney's California Adventure and became concerned that the park would fail to attract large crowds during the crucial summer season unless they had a big draw. So, on April 25th, 2001, the Disneyland Resort announced that the popular Main Street Electrical Parade would cross the Esplanade and make its sparkling debut in Disney's California Adventure on July 2nd, 2001, in honor of the first summer of the park. The name of the parade was changed from the Main Street Electrical Parade to Disney's Electrical Parade. 
most of the 1996 parade floats returned, except for the Pinocchio Pleasure Island section and the Snow White Diamond Mine Float, which had been sent to Park Disneyland at Disneyland Paris in 1997. The parade ran during summer periods and selected weekends. It finished a nine-month hiatus during the 2005 off-season at Disneyland Resort, which allowed replacement of lights on all the floats and alteration of the wording on the drum to Disney's electrical parade presented by Sylvania. On the 2008 Walt Disney World Christmas Day Parade Special, Disney announced that a Tinkerbell float would be added to Disney's Electrical Parade, which would make it the first new float to be added to the Classic Parade in 20 years, since the temporary Mickey Mouse's 60th birthday float in 1988. During a press... um, a press conference on April 24, 2009, it was announced that replicas of the Snow White and Pinocchio units would be added. Testing of the updated and new units in late May 2009 um, started. The Blue Fairy float was retired and replaced by the new Tinkerbell float as the leader of the parade. At the same time, the Dumbo unit was removed even though a new soundtrack was created for the unit. One of the original turtle floats from the Main Street Electrical Parade was on display at the technology section of the D23 Expo in 2009, prior to the updated parade's debut. And I know we're about to get to Tinkerbell. I don't like Tinkerbell. Yeah, I I miss the Blue Fairy. Me too. I'd always hoped they'd bring her back. But they destroyed the float. Yeah. It was shown um, in, its, in, in its destructive phase. So. Gone but not forgotten. Mm-hmm. Various enhancements were made to other floats as well. Animated LED pixie dust effects, similar to those on the new Tinkerbell float, were added to most of the major floats. The light bulbs that made up the letters on the drum float were replaced by smaller bulbs embedded into the side of the drum, and new larger light bulbs were added around the edges of the drum. The butterfly in the Alice in Wonderland unit was altered in appearance and given the ability to flap its wings, and the Cheshire Cat was altered to fade between visible and invisible rather than simply blinking on and off. Additionally, the caterpillar was changed from green to a more movie-accurate blue and was given a new digital face in December of 2009. In the Peter Pan unit, Tinkerbell was removed from the crow's nest of the pirate ship since she was now leading the parade, and the skull in the bow of the ship, previously formed by a group of light bulbs, was replaced by a single piece lit from the inside. Finally, the To Honor America unit was given a new sign and animated fireworks. This updated version of the parade made its formal premiere on June 12, 2009. I never thought the Main Street Electrical Parade was a good fit in Disney's California Adventure. Yeah. It it was too small for the size of the buildings. Yeah. I I never got to see it there, but I can understand exactly what you're saying about it. Mm -hmm. It makes sense to me. Yeah, it, it fits perfectly in the five eighths, um, you know, size of uh, what it was Disneyland. designed for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Disney's electrical parade at 
California Adventure ended its run on April 18, 2010 and was sent to the Magic Kingdom as part of Walt Disney World's 2010 promotional package, Summer Nightastic. Though billed as Disney's Main Street Electrical Parade, the uh, title on the drum float was not changed from its run at Disney's California Adventure and still displayed Disney's Electrical Parade. The presented by Sylvania text was removed. While initially it was announced the parade would stay just through the summer, it was later announced that the parade's run would be open-ended. On August 11, 2016, it was announced that the parade would be ending its run at the Magic Kingdom on October 9, 2016, and then return to Disneyland in 2017 for a limited-time encore performance. The parade's return to Disneyland was heavily promoted, with a Main Street Electrical Parade-themed yacht featuring featured in the 2016 Newport Beach Christmas Boat Parade, with Mickey Mouse serving as the Grand Marshal. During ESPN's broadcast of the 2017 Rose Bowl on January 2nd, 2017, the Walt Disney Company began airing what was probably my very favorite commercial they ever did, a 30-second television commercial announcing the parade's return. The commercial starred two cast members restoring the parade floats in a large warehouse with defunct Disneyland attractions such as Skull Rock, Skyway Buckets, Rocket Jets, Flying Saucers, and a People Mover, and characters and props such as the original Abominable Snowman from the Matterhorn Bobsleds, Captain Rex from the original version of Star Tours, Sam the Eagle from America sings, the mighty microscope from Adventures Through Inner Space, and the sea serpent from Submarine Voyage. The commercial ended with Elliot leading the parade out of the warehouse with the tagline, It's Coming Home. I just wanted to believe so much that warehouse existed in real life. And it doesn't. And (laughs) we would all be better for it if it did exist. (laughs) <laughs> but it doesn't. And uh, the closest thing we have is the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy queue. And yes. that's about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On January 19th, 2017, a special premiere event costing $95 per person was held after regular park hours. Banners with the parade's logos were hung on the Main Street lampposts during the parade's run. Although the parade continued to use the updated soundtrack that had been in use since 2009 and that soundtrack's much closer to the Tokyo Disneyland um, Dreamlights Parade Um, the original opening announcement provided by Jack Wagner was reworded or was reworked um, to better match the new soundtrack and was restored to the parade the parade underwent several changes between the final Magic Kingdom performance and this Disneyland premiere Casey Jr. was made the lead float of the parade, and the text on the drum float was reverted to its original state, alternating between Disneyland Presents and Main Street Electrical Parade, rather than Disney's Electrical Parade fading in and out. The Tinkerbell float was relocated from the front of the parade to the end of the Peter Pan unit, and Tinkerbell's balloon was replaced with a large flower platform. Despite Tinkerbell no longer leading the parade, the pixie dust effects on the rest of the major floats were not removed until several weeks into the parade's run. 
Finally, Pinocchio's float in the Pleasure Island unit was removed. Pinocchio was added to the Donkey Boys dance, and the entire routine was re-choreographed. The Main Street Electrical Parade's 2017 run at Disneyland ended with its final performance on August 20th. Nothing more was heard of the parade until June 28, 2019, when it was announced that the Main Street Electrical Parade would return to Disneyland on August 2, 2019, and run through September 30, 2019. And if that date doesn't move, this will be the shortest run in the history of the Main Street Electrical Parade. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect we're not going to see too many changes to this if it's really only going, only going to run for a couple yeah, of months. Yeah, uh, I don't expect anything at all, really. Yeah, I, I just hope it can limp along for two months. They'll, they'll, um, <laughs> they'll give it a little grease, a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of hope, a little bit of courage. It'll make a little it. bit of pig, a little bit of pixie dust. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, 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 they ran out of that. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, the Main State Electrical Parade has made appearances outside of the theme parks. I already mentioned one, but one we talked about on a previous show on June because you were there for it, Craig. On June 14, 1997, a variant of the Main Street Electrical Parade, the Hercules Electrical Parade ran on Broadway in Manhattan, New York City, for the opening of Disney's new Amsterdam Theater and the film Hercules. Disney arranged for the lights to be all turned off on about eight blocks of Broadway up to the theater. All business complied, with the exception of Disney's rival, the Warner Brothers store. (laughs) Although their lights went out a little, just a few weeks later, I think they went out of business. Um, It was led by... It was led by a custom um, Hercules title unit um, that was made for this one-time only use. I watched this on television because it was shown on national television on a one-hour promotional program featuring the music and making of Hercules. And the floats they made for the Hercules film were wonderful. And I, I wish they would have saved the floats and just included them. Yeah, it's just wild that I was there and didn't really know any of this was ha- I mean before the well the internet was around but it was before you really used it to find out what was happening every second of every day but I will say I went into the Warner Brothers store while I was in New York at that time period mm-hmm. and I highly enjoyed the Batman and Robin uh, dioramas they set up in that store and that's why it is still the best Batman movie made to this day <laughs> Yeah, well, didn't help them any. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm joking. I, I don't need anyone to think I'm serious. Batman and Robin is an awful, awful movie. <laughs> well, on January 2nd, 1978, as I mentioned before, the Main Street Electrical Parade was presented during the halftime show of the Orange Bowl College football game. Now, the nighttime parade uh, paint the magic or, I'm sorry, Paint the Night at the Disneyland Resort and Hong Kong Disneyland is heavily inspired by the Main Street Electrical Parade. One of its theme songs is an EDM remix of Baroque Hoedown alongside Owl City's When Can I See You Again from Wreck-It Ralph. The parade's opening fanfare and announcements are both based on those of the Main Street Electrical Parade. 
The California version also has a drum float behind the Tinkerbell float that leads the parade. And it's heavily modeled after the drum float in the Main Street Electrical Parade. So um, so I, I am looking forward to seeing the return of the Main Street Electrical Parade. Hopefully I'll see it when we're all there for the D23 Expo in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And I, no. yeah, I would love to see it once, twice, three times, but I won't. You know what? I'm, 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 I'm not going to bank on any of it. Mm-hmm. But if I get to see it, I consider myself lucky. <laughs> so, well, we are going to continue our celebration of Disneyland's 64th anniversary in our This Week in Disney History quiz because all of our questions this week are going to be about Disneyland. <laughs> So, Craig, are you all set for questions about Walt's Park for the week of July 14th? Sure. Let's go for it. Okay. All right. Well, let's start out with July 14th. (laughs) (laughs) To celebrate the opening of this restaurant on Disneyland's Main Street, USA, on July 14th, 1978, Howard Helmer, who is a demonstrating cook with the American Egg Board, breaks the world's record for omelet preparation. What is the name of the restaurant opening on this day? Uh, um, on Main Street? Uh, mm-hmm. Is this when it was finally turned into Carnation Cafe? No, no. it wasn't even at the Carnation Cafe. Oh, it was in Town Square. In Town Square? Mm-hmm. What am I missing in Town Square? Well, it's not there anymore. <laughs> well, clearly, but what am I missing there? It, it was, now it's a meet and greet. <laughs> so, right next to uh, the shop that has seasonal souvenirs and embroidery and stuff like that. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So, it's the American Egg House. Okay, so, there you go. So, Easily passing the old record of 188 omelets, Howard produces 217 two-egg omelets in only 30 minutes, assuring himself a spot in Guinness's next edition of its famous record book. Oh, come on. I make and, an omelet every morning. It's not that hard. Okay. Well, I want to see how many <laughs> you can make in 30 minutes. I, I can make at least three. <laughs> You. Well, I don't think you're going to be in any Guinness book. Then uh, I, I okay. should. I should be. For yeah. best podcast host who can make three omelets in 30 minutes. <laughs> there you go. Okay. All right. July, I'll have to challenge you and see if I can make... I, I, I don't think I've ever made one omelet. <laughs> <laughs> July 15th, Disney's California Adventure opens its newest attraction in the Hollywood Pictures backlot on July 15th, 2005. What is the name of the attraction? Uh, um, I think... uh, I I think this would have been around the time that um, Turtle Talk came out. You're absolutely correct. Turtle Talk with Crush, designed by Walt Disney Imagineering in collaboration with Pixar. The attraction consists of unscripted real-time conversation with Crush, the sea turtle from the Disney Pixar film Finding Nemo, and of course, years later, Finding Dory. It's the second Crush attraction to open as one debuted in Epcot in 2004, and it makes way more sense at Epcot than it does in the middle of Anaheim. 
True. So, Very true. Anyway, but I I love this show. Even though I'll go and watch it, even if I don't have my granddaughter with me, because I'm just mesmerized by the technology and the cleverness of Crush. Yes, as it, he responds to guests, it's utilized properly. Unlike uh, Monster Sink Lathler, which is mm-hmm. not utilized properly. Yep. <clears throat> yes. Although Carol loved that show, it was a not miss for her. And I just went along with it. (laughs) Okay, July 16th. Which attraction opened on July 16th, 1955, the day before Disneyland's debut for a private party for corporate sponsors? That would be the Golden Golden Horseshoe. That's correct. Owned by Gordon. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah the Gordon's Golden Fisherman. Ho- that <laughs> is. Yeah. Yeah. Gordon. Yeah. Yes, it opened featuring the Golden Horseshoe, opened featuring the Golden Horseshoe Review. This was Wally Bogue's first official performance as Pecos Bill and the Traveling Salesman at the Golden Horseshoe Saloon. This show had unofficially debuted on July 13th for um, Walt and Lillian's private anniversary party. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. There's some cute stories behind that, too. So, All right. July 17th. I mean, I, I tell those cute stories in, in, on, in six, my 60 Years of Disneyland series uh, from our classic Disneyland show. Um, anyway, July 17th. Disneyland celebrated its 34th anniversary on July 17th, 1989, with a dedication ceremony for which attraction? Ooh, this is going to be a bold guess, but I. Th- so, I think in 1992, this opened up in Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. But I think in 89, this opened up at Disneyland, and that's Splash Mountain. You are correct. And actors Jim Varney and Nick Stewart, who was the voice of Br'er Bear, joined Chairman and Chief Executive Officer Michael Eisner, Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Fox, and Mickey Mouse in turning on the water pump to create a big splash. The attraction will officially open to the public the next day. And we've been rapping about it now for how many years? Rapping about it? Oh, the zippity doodah rap. Oh, yes, absolutely. I, oh. I know you know it by heart. Oh, I do. Absolutely. <laughs> I saw the cutest thing. Except I shouldn't say it. Now I'm going. I'll have to buy it now before this show airs. Um, my daughter and I. She was visiting over the weekend for the Fourth of July, and we went our um, our Main Street USA in our little town is called Sutter Street. Mm-hmm. Because it, it was built during the gold rush. And they've done a remarkable job restoring it. And, and you know, you live in a small town when, you know, there just this random hog is just walking along the boardwalk of the town. And and it doesn't seem to belong to anybody, but it's it's a very happy pig was walking along. And but anyway, we went into this one shop that's owned by someone Carol and I used to work with way back in the day. And they had this bowl that you use for like shrimp and you know, you put the cocktail sauce yeah. in the middle and on the bowl it says shrimpity doodah. <laughs> I've got to buy this bowl. <laughs> it's the perfect amount of cheesiness. I know, I know. Cocktail. And the thing is, we br- I bring shrimp cocktail to parties all the time because it's the easiest thing to do. Oh, and yeah. everybody loves it. So <laughs> I'm getting that bowl. <laughs> and it's very reasonably priced. There you go. I better do it tomorrow. 
Yes. <laughs> Don't waste time. Do it right now. We'll we'll see you again soon. Yeah. Alrighty. Okay. Anyway, that was very good. July 18th. On July 18th, 1965, Disneyland's top restaurant and Walt's personal favorite was replaced and reopened under a new name. What was the restaurant's original name and new name? Uh, I, I believe that it became Plaza, but I don't remember the original name. Oh, it's one of your favorite places to eat, too. It was the Red Wagon Inn. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because yeah. you like the little I, red... I do. I love the little red wagon uh, corn dog cart. Uh-huh. Yeah, I always forget that that's where it kind of yeah. stemmed from. That, yeah. That's its homage yeah, yeah, to the Red Wagon Inn. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I know Plaza, though. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. half smart. <laughs> you were getting there. So, and of course, if you, if folks, if you have not been to the Red Wagon Cart, it is outside the Plaza Inn. As you look at the Plaza Inn, it's to the um, right towards Main Street. Yeah. And if and you go, shop. if you go too early in the day, they won't let you in the seating area for the Plaza Inn to enjoy your corn dogs. But once it gets on later with the day, then they allow mm-hmm. you to openly just walk in there and, and use the seating area. So and they, and they do have the best corn dogs in the park. Uh, they have the best corn dogs in the United States, which <laughs> arguably then they have the best corn dogs in the world. Yeah. And I'll stand by I, that. I was so disappointed when I was listening to you guys, you and Rhino on one of the videos for Walt Disney World. I loved a little miniature um, corn dogs from Casey's Corner, and and what they've done to them. I'm off on a complete tangent now. Oh, they're gosh. back though. They're oh, back. they are. Okay, they're back. good. Yeah, good. Okay, I'm happy now. <laughs> I always get just like yeah. Disneyland. I always get a corn dog, the red wagon cart. I always get those little mini corn dogs yeah. at the um, Casey's Corner. They're back, so do not okay. fear. They right. they will be yeah. there next time for you. Excellent. Okay, July 19th, Dallas McKinnon, the voice of Benjamin Franklin in Epcot's American Adventure, is born on July 19th, 1919. For which Disneyland attraction did McKinnon provide the narration? I have no idea. I'm going to give you a hint. He may be best known for the famous Big Thunder Mountain Railroad safety announcement at Walt Disney World. Did he also do it at Disneyland? Almost well, yeah, but it's the it's the mind train through nature's wonderland. Oh, yep, I wouldn't have got that, but yeah, thank and that's you. how we and that's how we got his gig with Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Yeah, I know that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, his Disney credits also include the voice of the animated bear in Bedknobs and Broomsticks, and appearances in the film Son of Flubber, The Misadventure of Merlin Jones, and The Cat from Outer Space. What surprised me the most when I was researching mr mckinnon was he was the voice of gumby (laughs) oh wow i had no idea yeah that doesn't even that doesn't click with me and i can picture gumby's voice like Mm -hmm. with no effort at all that i grew up with gumby and pokey and the blockheads no so did i i mean it's obviously not while it was happening but just that you know i had i had my little gumby figure and i watched gumby but Mm -hmm. Wow, that blows my mind. I know, I know. 
So, and he also voiced Archie when Filmation did the Archie um, series for sure. television, which I watched too oh. when I was a boy. Yeah, there you so go. So he he had he was a man of many. He voices. was all around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, July twentieth, the first permanent attraction to close at Disneyland debuted on July twentieth, nineteen fifty-five. What is the name of this attraction? I'm sure we've talked about it before, but um, mm-hmm. I can't come up with it. Okay, it's the Tomorrowland Boats, later named the Phantom Boats, and they debuted in Disneyland's Tomorrowland Lagoon. The attraction featured 14 brightly painted gas-powered fiberglass boats, um, but their poor mechanical design will contribute to the closing of this attraction. They'll be replaced by the motor boats later on. Craig, you did pretty well with the with the, our Disneyland. History, and just a couple tough ones in there, but mm-hmm. you give me some easy ones too, so I'll take it. Well, anyway, well, good congratulations, and you definitely have, treat yourself to a Mickey bar. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> Well, Craig, do you have any favorite memories of the Main Street Electrical Parade? I, I mean, I it, it goes back to that would have been 2000 when I got to see it while we were here for the Millennium Celebration and and my first trip to Walt Disney World after after a couple of years of not going. So we took trips in 92, 94, 96, and then 2000 was kind of our homecoming. Uh, back in place and i can remember i can remember standing right outside the shooting gallery waiting for the main street electrical parade and watching it and it it just it, it was so special like it's i i can't i can't actually remember watching the parade as sad as that sounds i can just remember the waiting for the parade and and then having the chance to watch it many times after that and and being there for the last time that it ran while it was in in Walt Disney World here and in shooting it and making sure I captured it and I the the one thing I, I I do hope is that I actually have the chance to catch it in Disneyland one day because I still haven't seen it in its rightful place but uh, I, I I love this parade like I, like I said earlier in the episode Regardless of the actual visual memories I have of it, it all goes back to sitting in the back of our car while I was growing up and putting on my cassette tape of the uh, official album of Walt Disney World and Disneyland, hitting hitting play on it and track one starting and it being the Main Street Electrical Parade. And that's that's all the memories there. It'll It'll always stick with me because of that. I, well, I have uh, I have a couple of, of funny stories, both revolving around Carol. One was, you know, when the Main Street Electrical Parade first opened, you know, I saw it its first year. I fell in love with this parade. I lo- any Anytime I was at Disneyland, no matter how many times that parade ran a night, I had to see. I had to see every version of it. So Carol and I, I think we were still dating, and I, I was there. It was in the mid-'80s, and we, uh, we went... Um, we went and we went there. I think it was for my birthday, and the, everybody wanted to ride Space Mountain. That was the big thing. Well, 
I kept the lines were huge. They were too, you know, Main Street. And Carol desperately wanted to go on Space Mountain. I'd been on it. It was fine. And, but I wanted to see the Macy Electric Parade. And we kept seeing it. And she finally said, you know, the line to Space Mountain is really short when the electrical parade is running. Do you think maybe one time we could go on Space Mountain during the electrical parade? I said, sure, no problem. And so we decided to get on um, – we decided to ride the People Mover before um, they would get off and we'd go over to Space Mountain. Well, this was when Star Tours was being built. So the Mighty Microscope had been removed and it was boarded up. And so when you went through that part, of that show building on the People Mover, they made an announcement of what was coming next and all that. Well, in our train, there were some teenage boys. So at some point as we were rounding about and coming on the track that is right over the entrance to Tomorrowland. The boys who are in the back of the train jumped out because they wanted to go and explore the show building over at Star Tours. Well, there are sensor pads on either side of the track. So the minute those pads felt weight, it stopped the whole people mover. Everything came to a ground, just to a halt. So... What basically what happened was is that security got the boys and they were escorted out of the park. Well, the way the Disneyland people movers was you couldn't reboot the whole system. Every train had to be restarted individually. So, and they were allowing people to get off the trains. Our problem was we were over the entrance. There was nowhere to get off of. We couldn't step out. And so they had to wait to get every train boosted in, and and then they could get hours going. So we could get to the middle area, going down the center of Tomorrowland, where we could step out. So they sent security guards to stand with our train. And so we're waiting. They said, oh, it won't be long. It won't be long. Well, it was over an hour. And by that time... The electrical parade started, and we saw everybody running from Space Mountain Q to go watch the electrical parade. And Carol, oh, I, she's talking about this, and the security guards hearing us, and then, um, and then we got the best view of the electrical parade because we were above it. You know, on that people mover track, when you see the electrical parade from a distance, you can see all the patterns of the lights and all that. So I saw things I'd never seen before in that parade. It was glorious. Well, the problem is the parade ended (laughs) and um, we were still stuck up there and the lines, everybody headed right back to Space Mountain and the lines are down the main street. So Carol was just furious, even though she realized this was not my fault. Well, when they finally got our train going and we were in the middle you know area and they were getting us off a per, a security another security guy came over and said are you the two that want to ride space mountain and we said yes he said follow me and so we followed him we went through doors and hallways and all of that kind of stuff now i was wearing my musketeer button that i dug out of a jewelry box from back in the day and so when we suddenly a door opens we are at the front of the line for space mountain and the security guard says to the cast member put put them on the next um train they're vips 
and he said it really loudly. Everybody in the queue is trying to figure out who we are. And and we hear all the whispering and speculation and they see my button and, and all the it was hilarious. Anyway, we were we rode in the front of Space Mountain. It was great. That's an awesome <laughs> story. It's a really yeah, isn't great. That, isn't that a great story? And then uh, oh th- th- there was one more I was thinking of. Oh, it was our honeymoon, Fourth of July, nineteen eighty nine, Walt Disney World. There were a few people there. It <laughs> it was the most crowded the park had been in its history. That doesn't so, seem right for July 4th. I know. We read this later, um, that it was the most crowded it had ever been in its history. And so anyway, so we're going to watch the Main Street Electrical Parade in Frontierland, sitting, I think, right near Country Bears. Carol, uh, so we sit down, we're, we're chatting with people around us. They're all excited. They said, this is their favorite parade. And I said, yeah, this is mine too. Carol wants a drink. So I go, okay. I said, I think I saw a vending cart up here. I'll go get you a Coke. And I noticed, I knew, I must have known something was up because there were people from a whole different land in the wrong costumes uh, serving the sodas. I thought, this is odd. And then what we later found out is that the park was running out of food and soda. And so they were, people were running everywhere trying to oh my um, help out. Well, the other thing I learned, well, and I was waiting in this long line, is that by the time I had the two sodas, um, my path back to Carol was blocked for the parade. And I thought, I don't know this park. I don't know how to get back to her. And I finally figured it out. I This huge walk around. And I, I found her, and she wanted to know what took so long, and I just sort of glared at her and handed her the soda and she said the ice is melting i said just drink it and then and then the parade starts and the parade was missing floats from the disneyland parade i mean significant number of floats and so the parade runs and and then the people next to say isn't that great and she joined i said where's the rest of it they said what and I go, no, this is like half the parade. Where's the rest of the parade? I said, this is all you've got? This is it? And, oh, they were just, they, they had no idea Disneyland's version had more floats. And so, That's I perfect. Just, I know. I destroyed those people's um, enjoyment of that parade. <laughs> so, oh, well. They probably still talk about me. Uh, Michael Voling kills magic. <laughs> I know, really. So, anyway, so so we hope you enjoyed this this special episode of the Main Street Electrical Parade in its history, and that if you're at Disneyland this summer, we hope you get a chance to enjoy it and let us know. Do you have favorite memories of this parade? You know, na- now probably the people in 1972. I don't know, maybe they're taking their grandchildren to it by now. Let us know what some of your favorite, uh, what your favorite. Um, memories are of the parade by you know leaving um leaving your you know, leaving us the messages on facebook or at connecting walt on twitter well for references in this episode i used um some books i used a history of the Mason electrical parade it's an article by chuck mirachi um and it's in the book for decades of magic a collection of essays collected by chad denver emerson um I briefly talked a little about Disney's America on Parade, a history of the USA in a dazzling, fun-filled 
um, pageant by David Jacobs, In Service to the Mouse, My Unexpected Journey to Becoming Disneyland's First President, a memoir by Jack Lindquist, The Disneyland Story, The Unofficial Guide to the Evolution of Walt Disney's Dream by Sam Genoway, and Disneyland, The Inside Story by Randy Bright, and uh, a website that was very um, helpful was the Disney Wiki. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on all the different random shows on the Disunplugged Podcast Network, and then always on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. Michael, what about you? Well, you can send me messages at michael at www.info.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. And a lot of people are liking my personal Facebook page. Be sure to like the one that has the Connecting with Walt banner as well if you want anything about Disney on it. Um, Instagram, Michael Bowling the Diz. And, of course, you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at ConnectingWalt. And I will be returning to the Disneyland show next week. So be sure to check it out. See what I have to say about Disneyland's um, opening day. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplug.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. Thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that was all started by a man Walt Disney and his brother Roy. And thank you, Walt and Roy, for giving us the happiest place on earth. <laughs>